Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. So today we're going to be finishing um, this series on embracing the fear of the Lord. And I just want to give you a tiny bit of a backstory um, of how I kind of came upon this topic, because I think it's relevant for, it's an open invitation for us to begin to dive into the scriptures regarding any topic. Um, So it was a handful of weeks ago, Julianne and I were talking, and she she doesn't even know this. (laughs) She brought up the topic of the fear of the Lord. And I don't even remember what verse she referenced or any of that, but she just brought up the topic as something that she wanted to talk about in our small group. So then we had the small group that night, and in the midst of me thinking about that topic of the fear of the Lord, I stumbled across some relevant verses that we kind of went into that night. None of those verses ended up in either set of notes. Um, but that, that one brief conversation about the fear of the Lord, it reminded me of the topic, and it reawakened my heart to say, okay, this is a topic that the body of Christ at large, maybe we have a hard time with. Um, And it's a relevant topic because, you know, the the Bible talks about widespread deception and people being lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure and not lovers of God. And there's tons of other verses I could quote in there, but the point is, that the fear of the Lord is something that is very relevant and needed, especially as times get darker. So I took that just tiny conversation as a catalyst to then dive into the scriptures. And I, I don't know if what you think about that, but for me, having that invitation, that catalyst, that is exponentially, it is a better motivator to get into the scriptures and to stay in the scriptures longer than just the broad exhortation of read your Bible every day or read your Bible more. Um, I find it incredibly helpful to take those tiny invitations. So someone brings up a, you know, it could be somebody on Sunday, they bring up a, they quote a scripture, they bring up a biblical story, they bring up a topic. And if that sparks our heart, then we can then take that back to the scriptures and say, okay, let me look, let me search, let me find, let me look through the highlights of my Bible, or let me use Bible software or whatever I need to do, or or buy a book on the topic, or whatever I need to do to begin to, to assemble the relevant verses and look at them and think about them and pray about them and say, how does this fit what I believe or what I think I should believe about this topic? So that's kind of the motivation of of doing this topic. And as I've been looking at it, especially in preparing for this week, I'm just positively overwhelmed at how much the Bible has to say about the fear of the Lord. So so these notes are actually bigger than last week, even though I didn't get through all the notes last week. Um, And there there are more verses than there are my commentary on them. Um, But I did that... Uh, partially on purpose, again, to give you that invitation of you can take it, you can take it home, you can do this with your spouse, you can do it with your small group, you can do it by yourself. Just begin to look at the relevant verses. See the phrases, see the, see the ways that God is describing the fear of the Lord um, and the blessings associated with walking in the fear of the Lord, receiving the fear of the Lord, pursuing the fear of the Lord. Because um, I believe that this topic, there is hidden wisdom in looking at it. There is hidden wisdom in embracing it and running after it because the Bible says a lot about the blessing of the fear of the Lord. And if we just recoil at the topic without looking at it, then we are missing out on so many, so many blessings. So as I said last week, we, we can often look at the fear of the Lord and see it only as reverence. And many can be afraid of it And perhaps even try to drown it out by proclaiming over and over again that God is love and perfect love casts out fear. 
And I personally am convinced that that is the wrong approach to responding to this topic. We live in a culture where so many people think that they can have their own truth. And what this translates to is we, we then begin to look at God and we begin to just contemplate what do we think God should be like? And we begin to just rationally and emotionally think through what we think God should or could be like. And then oftentimes our belief systems about God are more based upon our personal opinions than they are based upon us looking cover to cover in the Bible and staring at a topic and saying, okay, God, what do you say? What did the prophets say? What did Jesus say in the Gospels? What did you know, various portions of Scripture, uh, how did it speak into this topic? Um, so, in light of that, this, this last week, I, I really wanted to look at this topic again um, and really make sure that I'm presenting it in, a, in the right weight. Right? This is a topic that it can make you feel uncomfortable. So in light of that, I went and I listened to a couple different Mike Bickle sermons on the fear of the Lord. I also listened to a Francis Chan sermon on the fear of the Lord. Um, and I really wanted to wash myself in the topic to begin to just realign my own heart and say, okay, this topic, how should I be thinking about it? So I'm, I'm going to give a quote from one of those two sermons from Mike Bickle. And this was given in 2004. It says, God wants to put a trembling spirit upon his people. It's trembling and it's awe and it's majesty and it's dread. It's not just respect. Some people say the fear of God is respect and it is, but the fear of God is being afraid of God. People say we don't want to be afraid of God. Well, I don't think that you know God if you don't think that being afraid of Him is right. It's a strange paradox of confidence and love, but a trembling spirit that says, I feel loved and secure, and I love you, but you scare me sometimes when you show your power. He is awesome, and the people will be afraid of Him in the good sense. Their spirit will tremble. If the people's spirit doesn't tremble, they actually get off the path really quickly, and that's where the body of Christ is right now in America. That is not a there is not a spirit of the fear of the Lord. There is not a trembling spirit on the church, and it is a gift of God, and it will be imparted supernaturally, and that is what we are asking for. There is the human dimension of choosing the fear of the Lord, and it's important but not fullness. The fear of God also comes in like a mighty rushing wind where the Spirit breaks in and gives us the fear of the Lord. So if you are familiar with Mike Bickle at all, he is one of the happiest, one of the happiest people I've ever met. And I haven't had actually physical conversations with him, but I've, he's come up to me with a ridiculous grin on his face and, face and shook my hand and... But he is re really one of the happiest people I've ever met. And yet he said a quote like this. He said that the fear of the Lord is not just respect and honoring God. It is also trembling. It is also... Uh, it is also majesty and awe. It's trembling. It's dread. So the question is, how can someone be so ridiculously happy and confident in their walk before God and also say this statement that the fear of the Lord is dread. The fear of the Lord is being afraid of God. And that paradox between being confident in love and also saying God is bigger and mightier than me and that causes me to tremble sometimes. So we're going to look at that uh, now through the, the lens of the scriptures. So the fear of God, a right fear of God, is a beautiful gift from God that sets us up to receive so many blessings and breakthroughs that we simply don't realize. So Hosea 3.5, Afterward, the sons of Israel 
will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. So this is a prophetic statement about the end times. It's saying that Israel will return to seek the Lord, but they will come trembling to his goodness. So they are seeking him, they're pursuing him, they're, ru- they're running back to God. Like the, the primary call of the, of, the, uh, of the office of a prophet in the Bible was to call the people to return to God, to forsake their sin, to return to God. So here we have them actually returning, but they're coming with trembling. They're returning to God with trembling, but they're also approaching his goodness. They have a revelation of the goodness of God, but also his might and his power. And it's out of that place that they are, that they are in righteously returning to him, but also trembling. They will, seek, they will seek God earnestly. They will seek to encounter the presence of God, but they are simultaneously turning away from sin. So that's Old Testament. Now we turn to the New Testament. The birth of the church in Acts, Acts 9.31. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. So here we have these, this two, these two realities. They were... They were enjoying peace, they were being built up, they were growing, they were multiplying, but they were going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So it is truly a paradox, but it is not a contradiction. We can have a trembling spirit before God and rightly in moments be overwhelmed by the, the, the greatness of God and feel, a, feel, feel that fear of the Lord in a full sense of, in full sense of the term fear, we can feel that and yet also have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Because as I said last week, the safest place for us to be when we are struggling in sin or when we're facing our weakness, when we're facing our issues, the safest place for us to be is at the feet of Jesus. Staring at the cross, running toward the cross. So that reality is we have the most comfort when we are rightly aligned with our position relative to God's position. And we see how great and mighty He is, and in that there is not only room for, but it is right for there to be some trembling. So when we know that God sees all, He deeply cares about our condition and that there are consequences to our choices. It produces a clean spirit. So Psalm 19, verse 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. The fear of the Lord is clean. So the fear of the Lord being clean, the, the fear of the Lord produces in us cleanliness of heart. If we're embracing the fear of the Lord, it's actually cleansing us. And that cleansing is because we fear God, because we, as I said last week, we know that He sees all. I brought up that accusation against God of God you don't see. And, it's, and that's the lack of the fear of God when we're looking at God and we're saying, God, you don't see it. You don't see what I'm doing. You don't care what I'm doing. We're not that different. This is the the other side of that. If, If we realize that God sees all, He deeply cares, and there are consequences, those revelations will help us walk in the fear of the Lord, and it will actually produce a clean spirit within our heart. And if we're walking in this fear in the fear of the Lord, we can be content in the lowest role when we know that God sees and cares and that even the small movements of our heart towards Him matter exponentially more than we understand. So it's actually linked to the fear of the Lord when I can see my smallness and have contentment. Without the fear of the Lord and only looking at the natural, 
then I'm always jostling for position, wanting more impact, wanting more influence, wanting my name to be known, so that then I feel like, yes, I'm having impact. Yes, I'm, I'm, be, I'm being productive. I'm, I'm making a name for myself. But we can be content in the small things when we, when we, when we have revelation that God's always, God's always looking. He sees. So I don't need a pedestal or a platform or greatness of impact in man's eyes. I can say, God, you see everything. You see my heart, my engagement. When there's a few people here, you see it. When there's lots of people here, you see it. When I'm here and there's no one else. So that is a blessing to us. And the fear of God can come to us in a few different ways. So the fear of God is a choice, number one. And we see this in Proverbs 1, 29 through 33. It says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof, reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. So it says they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is a choice. We choose to align our heart. We choose to believe the truth. We choose to say, yes, God, I desire, I want to fear you. But the fear of God is more than just a choice. The fear of God is also a gift or an encounter. In Psalm 86, verse 11, it says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name. This is a request. This is a humble submission before God saying, God, I need the gift of the fear of the Lord. I need to encounter the fear of the Lord. So it's coming before God saying, unite my heart to fear your name. And the question is, is this something that we in our generation, is this something we want to pray if this was right to pray in David's day, then is it something that we should also be praying, asking the Lord, unite my heart to fear your name? So the fear of God is also a spirit. It is a character trait. Malachi 3.16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. This, I, I don't know if you've heard this verse before, read this verse before. This is an awesome verse. This is such an awesome verse because this is saying, again, that God sees in secret and that he's watching our conversations. So as we grow up in the Lord, as we have conversations with one another, as we are embracing the fear of the Lord and looking at it and talking about it, and as we build that into our character as a, as a lifelong pursuit, it says a book of remembrance is written with our names on it. And this is the topic of the book. Those who fear the Lord. Like, are you kidding me? God is writing a book, and the sole purpose of that book is to write down the names of those that esteem the name of the Lord and who walk in the fear of the Lord. That is awesome. How many of you want your name on that book? Right? So again, when we look at this topic and we look at the modern culture and we look at how, how this topic is not desired in, in, a, in a large sense. It's not walked out. It's not desired. It's like, man, they are missing out. The body of Christ is missing out on this promise 
that if we embrace the fear of the Lord as a lifestyle, as a pursuit, as a character trait, not just like I want to look at it once and have a mental agreement with it and then walk on, like actually pursue it. Let's talk about it. Let's pursue it. Let's love it. Then if we do that, our names can be permanently written in a book before the Lord that says that we fear God. So the righteous... So again, the fear of God, it's a choice, it's a gift, and it's also a character trait. So we say yes to is in our part to walk in it, and we also cry out God encounter us with the fear of the Lord, and then we walk it out long term and say God build this into my character. Build this into the the, the fiber of who I am so that I can be faithful the rest of my days. So the righteous fear of God in light of his greatness. This is Roman numeral two. The fear of God begins with seeing and receiving the truth of who God actually is and not simply making a God in our own image according to what seems best to us. When we receive and treasure who God is in truth and we turn our ear, incline our heart, in our heart, cry out for and seek after God, we will find the fear of God and conclude that he, that, he, that he is both altogether lovely, but also awesome, powerful, and sometimes terrifying. And in light of his beauty, his splendor, and his power, he is worthy of our wholehearted pursuit, our worship, our devotion, and our obedience. So we encounter the fear of the Lord when we embrace the truth of it. When we say, God, I'm not going to just emotionally think about the topic and think, well, should I be terrified by God? Or should I ever tremble? Or should I ever... I mean, New Testament, you know, we have individuals that encountered God and they literally fell down like dead men. They were terrified. They were beyond terrified. They, 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 like, God is awesome. That doesn't mean I should walk around every day not being confident in God's love for me, but it does mean that there is an absolutely a place for actual fear of God. So God is greater than man in every conceivable way, and it is right for us to fear him. So Jeremiah 10, 6-7. There is none like you, O Yahweh, you are great, and great is your name and might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. So a random side note. The verses that I'm quoting that use the term Yahweh, um, the, 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 the reason why you see that, is I'm using uh, a Bible translation called the Legacy Standard Bible. It is basically an update to the New American Standard Bible. Um, so, and, and they properly are rendering Old Testament uh, terms for God and, and giving the, the accurate word. Because a lot of Bible translations, they'll say God or they'll say Lord or they say Lord in all caps and you don't know, is it Adonai, is it Yahweh, like what? name of God are they using and why um, so anyway any of the quotes that you see that, that that is the version that I'm using so it says who would not fear you O king of the nations indeed it is your due there is none like you so there's this connection between the greatness of God and it's like who wouldn't fear you like of course everyone should fear you and then in Psalm 89 5 through 15 it says, And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. Who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord, your, your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the seas. When its waves rise, you still them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your, with your mighty arm. 
The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. The world in all its fullness, you have formed them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand and high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your, count- of your countenance. So there's blessing when we acknowledge the, the greatness of God and we walk in the light of it. When we walk in the light of who God is, we will rightly understand God. So uh, moving on to Roman numeral three, Jesus and the sevenfold spirit of God. Jesus is our preeminent example of someone walking in and delighting in the fear of the Lord. If Jesus possesses the perfection of wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, and knowledge, and he, out of that perfection, delights in the fear of the Lord, we must conclude that the fear of the Lord is something that we need in our lives. Amen? So let's look at that verse. Isaiah 11, 2 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Speaking of Jesus. The Spirit of, the wi- of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and strength. The Spirit of, the no- of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. So this sevenfold spirit of God, the fear of God is one of those seven spirits. And Jesus delighted in it. So if Jesus himself, in his perfection of wisdom and knowledge, if he's delighting in the fear of God, then perhaps if my conception of the fear of God or my feelings and my emotional response to it is negative, it's probably because there's something misaligned in my understanding. Because Jesus himself delighted in it. So the nature and blessings of the fear of the Lord, when we look at the aspects of the fear of God and the promises, there are so many verses. So here I'm just highlighting a selection of them. Psalm 111.10 This one is probably one of the most well-known. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. And then Proverbs 19.23, The fear of the Lord leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. The fear of the Lord leads to life, And it allows me to sleep satisfied and untouched by evil. How many of you want to be untouched by evil? How many of you want to sleep soundly? Like this blessing of being untouched by evil, this blessing of peace in the night is connected to the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord that is that doorway into these blessings. And Malachi 4.2, it says, But for you who fear my name... The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing. So the fear of the Lord is even connected to miracles. The fear of God. Embracing the fear of the Lord. That's that's not a promise that if you fear God... Every part of your body will be healed. But it is a statement that God, when He looks upon our hearts as as the company of those who fear Him, God will gladly cause healing to be released. And then we have Psalm 147.11. The Lord favors those who fear Him, those who wait for His loving kindness. He favors those who fear Him. How many of you want favor? I mean, it's, it, it, if we look at all these actual blessings, like these are the things that we want in life. I want healing. I want sweet sleep. I want protection. I want deliverance from evil. All of this is connected to us embracing 
a pursuit and a lifestyle and a love for the fear of the Lord. So Micah 6, 9. Um, top of page 4. It says, The voice of the Lord will call to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear, O tribe, who, who has appointed its time. So there's this phrase, it is sound wisdom to fear his name. Sound wisdom. How many of us in the chaos of our generation and all of the fears, fear of COVID and fear of international conflict and fear of rights getting taken away and fear of mass shootings and fear of all these things, and yet the Bible says it is sound wisdom to fear God. And Psalm 31, 19 through 20, says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have worked for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. This is again a, a profound verse. God is storing up goodness for those who fear Him. How many of you want to be held in the secret place of God's presence? Away from conspiracies. Held in the secret place of God's presence, in the shelter of God, away from the strife of tongues. And how many of us want to be caught up in the whirlwind of strife and conspiracy? This again is connected to the, fear of the, to the fear of the Lord. So now we also have verses that talk about the command to fear God. So there's blessings associated with fearing God, but there's also a command to fear God. Psalm 2.10 through 12, it says, So now, O kings, show insight, take warning, O judges of the earth, serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all you who take refuge in him. So we should serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That is a profound verse, this command to serve God and fear him. And then Psalm 96, 4-9 through says, For great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised, he is more fearsome than all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but Yahweh made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to Yahweh, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. Lift up an offering. Come into his courts. Worship Yahweh in splendor, in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. So the trembling, that righteous fear of God, that trembling before God is connected to a revelation of his greatness. If we actually look at God and say, God, you made the heavens, you are full of strength and beauty. If we're really looking at the biblical description of who God is, it will rightly produce in us a trembling because we realize that we are so small, our understanding is so simple, and God is so mighty. And we will righteously tremble before Him. And there's that command, tremble before Him all the earth. Then Romans eleven seventeen through 23, if we come into the New Testament for a moment, it says, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them, and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who support the root. The root supports you. You will say, then branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. 
To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. We have this phrase, the kindness and severity of God. When you hear that phrase, how many of you are like, man, that causes a little bit of trembling. The kindness and severity. He's kind. It says if, if we're operating, if we're walking in faith and we're thankful, we're, faith, we're, we're humble, we have, we have faith towards God, then man, we get the manifestation of God's kindness. But if we, in arrogance and in disbelief and in sin, turn our hearts away from God, it says He will not spare us. He will cut us off. And to me, when I look at verses like that, it should cause a righteous trembling. But the key is to realize that that righteous trembling is actually keeping us. It's keeping us close to God. It's keeping us in a right response to God. It's easy to, to, to encounter that trembling and be like, oh man, I don't like how that feels, and then shove it off and say, I'll believe something different about God. I'll believe something different about who He is, how He acts, how kind He is, how patient He is. And obviously He is kind and patient. But within that paradigm of understanding who God is, this has to be part of it. And then we have Philippians 2.12. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We live in a day when I, I don't know how common this is. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It feels more like we live in a day when we just get to publicly vote. Just like gathering groups of people that are like, ah, God's kinder than that. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't scare me. He wouldn't cause me to tremble. He wouldn't cut me off. But here the exhortation is that we should work out our salvation, our salvation with fear and trembling. And then Isaiah 66, 2. It says, For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things come into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. This is the one that God wants to look on. How many of you want the gaze of God? In a, in a positive sense. We want God to be looking towards us, leaning in, desiring to encounter us, desiring for us to encounter Him. This is it. He's looking for humility, contriteness of spirit, and who trembles at His word. That, that means to say that I'm going to read this Bible cover to cover. I'm going to encounter all sorts of stories and phrases and declarations of who God is and exhortations and commands. And I'm going to hum humble myself under it and say, God, I don't want to make a God in my image. I don't want to just choose out of my own rational thought that surely God wouldn't ever do dot, dot, dot. I'm going to take the word and I'm going to say, God, this is true. And if it causes me to tremble, so be it. If it causes me to tremble, then I, then I am beginning to step into all those promises that you say that I can receive if I walk in the fear of the Lord. So I'm going to skip forward to Roman numeral 7, skipping over the fear of God and obedience. Um, there's obviously good verses to... Actually, let me give this one quote at the beginning of the fear of God and obedience. It says, The fear of God is to choose to hate evil. It's a choice. Long before the emotions are there, it's a choice to hate evil, to break our alliance with darkness when no one is looking. And that's a quote by Mike Bickle that also came from this teaching series. 
The fear of God is to choose to hate evil. Long before the emotions are present, it's a choice. That doesn't mean that I can only walk into the fear of God when I'm overwhelmed with the emotion of the fear of God. It's a choice when I'm by myself in darkness, when no one's looking, I can break my alliance, my allegiance, I can break agreement with sin and temptation. And that is truly the manifestation of the fear of God in our life. So the fear of God is as a protection against falling away. And we're going to end uh, with this section, probably. So the Bible makes clear that God does not reveal himself equally to all people. And, and we see that he will lovingly reveal himself more to those who seek and honor him most. So Leviticus 10.3, And Moses said to Aaron, and it's on the last page, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Before all the people, I must be glorified. So there is a holiness of God that is dynamically different than just us conceptually understanding that he's perfect. He's other than, he's high and lifted up. There is something real where God is saying, if we want to come near to him, he must be regarded as holy. And that's the fear of the Lord. That's the trembling of us coming before God saying, God, I don't have a right to come to you outside of your mercy. Outside of the blood, I have no access. Outside of the blood, it would be like coming to touch the ark and being zapped dead. Like I have no right to approach a holy God outside of his kindness and him reaching his hand towards us. So Joshua 24, 20, it says, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. Man, if I forsake the Lord, God would be right. It would not be wrong. It would not be immoral of God to allow harm in my life, to allow me to be consumed even after his goodness has been shown to me in the past. So the fear of God aids us in maintaining the path, running to him, staying on that narrow path the rest of our days. It is a protection against falling away. Jeremiah 2.19, it says, you own evil, uh, Your own evil will chastise you. Your acts of faithlessness will reprove you. Know therefore and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake Yahweh your God. And the dread of me is where? Is not in you, declares Yahweh of hosts. So it is evil and bitter to forsake God. And in in that evilness, and that bitterness, that act of forsaking God, what is missing? The fear of God. It says, the dread of me is not in you. The fear of me is not in you when you are walking away to forsake me. And that is a wicked thing. So it is, if, if, if we are saying, God, keep me all of my days. I am not just trying out Christianity. I'm not just giving this a go and seeing if it works for me. If we're saying, God, sustain me until death. Let me love you. Let me obey you. Let me worship you. Let me honor you. Then it is right for us to see verses like this and tremble a little bit. And say, okay, God, it's not a good idea. I might see people from Bible school walking away from you. I might see coworkers walking away from you. I might see other people walking away from you, God. But your word says it's, it's a... That's one of the, that's basically the worst choice you could ever make to turn your heart away from the Lord. In Jeremiah 17, 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water. So here we have another book and another writing down of names. 
And this is the names of those who forsake God. That's terrifying. And rightly so. On the one hand, God is saying, if you love the fear of God, if you love the proclamation of my name, I'm going to write your name in a book. And on the other hand, he's saying, if you forsake me, I'm also going to write your name down, but it's in a different book, and you will be put to shame. And then Isaiah 8, 13. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, he shall be your dread. This isn't going to be tweeted and retweeted. But man, I'm not choosing God because everything he says is rainbows and flowers. Like an honest pursuit of God is to say, God, if this is what your word says, that you're supposed to be my fear and my dread, okay, Lord, teach me. I want a manifestation of love in my heart. I want to be overwhelmed with your love. I want to be overwhelmed with your kindness. I want to be overwhelmed with your goodness, with your patience, with your mercy. But in the pursuit of your patience and mercy and kindness, God, I don't want to forsake the fear of the Lord. And then Psalm 119, verse 120, it says, My flesh quakes for the dread of you. I am afraid of your judgments. My flesh is quaking because, I'm, because of the revelation of the dread of God. And I'm afraid of His judgments. There's nothing that will keep us out of dark places, keep us out of temptation. This is one of the revelations that will aid in our, in our safety. And then Hebrews 10, 26-27. If we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and of the fury of, of, of a fire which will consume the adversaries. A terrifying expectation of judgment if I continue willfully in my sin. These are verses that, again, they're, they're not comfortable. They're not the most popular. You're not going to see them on a t-shirt. You're not going to see them tweeted and retweeted. But this is part of our faith, and this is part of who God is. And it will protect us from falling away. Obviously, it shouldn't be mistaken. Obviously, we need the manifestation of God's love and kindness and mercy. And I could equally fill this time with dozens or hundreds of verses about God's love, mercy, kindness, patience, His long-suffering. But this should be part of the conversation. Because again, we live in a day when more and more people, churches, denominations, they are walking away. They're saying, Jesus isn't the only way. You can do what you want. Hell doesn't exist. All these other things. And all of those statements, all of those false doctrines that are cropping up, why are they embraced? They're embraced because it's palatable to the human frame to say God is only good. He's only love. I mean, it, I, I didn't even talk about, like there's other verses in the Bible that talk about the fury of the Lord of hosts, the terror of the Lord. Like those are real phrases. The terror of the Lord, the fury of the Lord of hosts. It's like, man, God is holy, but it is good. So I will end with this last verse. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all evil or cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So how do we walk that out practically? How do we perfect holiness in the fear of God? We figure out what in our life excites and awakens sinful desires, passions, and temptations, and we partner with God to learn how to renounce them, avoid them, protect ourselves from them. 
And then on the flip side, we figure out what in our life excites and awakens a love for God, what awakens a desire for His presence and the fear of the Lord, and we learn how to pursue those things. Like that is the clincher. That is, that is how we walk it out. We say, God, what in my life is going to slowly dull me and slowly entice me away into sin? And I say, God, teach me in the fear of God with all these verses and others to say, God, I'm going to say no to that. And then the flip side is, God, what in my life is encouraging me in my faith? What is washing me in a way that makes me want God? And we amplify that. We increase it. We pursue it. We awaken it. It, it, that, it really does come down to that. Us looking at our lives and our passions and the things that, that touch our emotions and awaken us and say, okay, which direction do I want to go? Do, do, do I want my name to be written down as, as those who forsook God in their short life on earth? Or do I want my name to be written down of those who fear the Lord and cherished his name. So Lord, God, we thank you. God, for, for, for the, the truth of who you are, all of who you are, God. God, we would be crushed if you weren't merciful and kind, if you weren't patience and, patient and full of long-suffering. But God, we also agree with your word that we are to rightly fear you, revere you, and tremble before you. And Lord, we pray, God, give us an impartation of the fear of God. God, we say yes with our mind and our heart, God, but we also ask you for that encounter. Encounter us with the fear of God, that we would walk holy, that we would step into the blessings, all of the blessings of embracing the fullness of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 